Hello, guys. Welcome back to the Pick Swap Podcast. I am James Barain. I'm here with Sean Bernard, and we are the voice of choice for your Philadelphia 76ers. What's up, Sean? Not too much. What's going on, James? You know, hanging in there. Uh, I feel like we start the same the episode the same way almost every time. Um, yeah. Just kind of saying, you know, I'm doing okay. <laughs> I'm kind of holding in there. Um, but we have, you know, we have a quick announcement, kind of an announcement, more of just like an inform- informative piece and uh, for about PSN Radio. So you can take that away, Sean. Yeah. So as you guys know, we've been with uh, Philly Sports Network from the jump and helped uh, jumpstart with there. And that uh, we're now uh, really exciting news that are going into uh, PSN Radio, which will be available on Spotify, Apple News, wherever you get your podcasts. And so you're gonna our, our podcast uh, Pick Swap Pod will be available on there as well as uh, Flipping the Birds, Outside Insider, Bullpen Blues, and a bunch of great Philly Sports Network podcasts. So that's all kind of going under the same olive branch, just kind of in a way. So it's all together in kind of a Philly Sports Network family. So that's being launched, and we'll still be pushing out our podcast in the same way as usual, but it'll also be produced on there. So yeah, excited about that. Yeah, man, super exciting stuff. I mean, I mean, we'll, actually, let's. Just take a quick moment. I, we do want to thank, you know, Liam and everyone at, at PSN. It's been a great time for us so far. Um, they've really just been like super accepting and like um, motivating. And, you know, it's just been a great time. It's like a really good organization. I feel like, and everyone's just kind of like a, they're really tight there. And I mean, you know, the, the way they go about things on Twitter and, and other platforms and everything, it's really cool to see. And it's, it's like such a really cool thing that I'm so appreciative to be a part of. Yeah, hundred percent. Definitely um, that, a family vibe and kind of cool to see this yeah. uh, launch off the ground. So we're happy to be a part of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, that being said, we can talk about some stuff. Um, we're gonna go a little bit all all over the place tonight. Um, I mean, there hasn't been a lot of Sixers news recently. Obviously, there's you know some coaching rumors, some other rumors that uh, we'll touch on, but uh, we'll talk about the stuff that is happening right now. Um, the Nuggets beat the Lakers last night in you know surprisingly close game after that third quarter. Um, the Lakers still hold a 2-1 lead in that series. How do you feel? Well, how do you see this? the rest of that series going? Because, I mean, you'd almost rather be tied 2-2 than be up 3-1 on the Nuggets from the way they've uh, played the rest of this – or the last part of this postseason. So how do you feel? Yeah, I was surprised to see the Nuggets sneak a game there. I still think is the Lakers are far and away the favorite and that they're on a significantly level above what the Nuggets are right now, even though Jamal Murray is 100% legit and Jokic looks tremendous and – I do like the way this team plays and the pieces they have around. Jeremy Grant popped off last night, looked really good. But, again, I think the Lakers are a far and away better team. So, I think the series is still over. Yeah, yeah I could see it going six. Um, I'd like that. I'd like to see a decent series, but I, I, don't, I don't see it going any further than six. Um, it, was, it was exciting. I'm super happy for Jeremy Grant. Um, it was really cool to see him play such good defense on, on LeBron and AD and – you know, so he put up a postseason career high, 26 points. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really, it was just, it was really cool to see, but it was also like, damn, we kind of just traded him for like a bag of chips and just like called it a day. And, um, and that was one of the first moves by the Colangelos. Um, Hanky was huge on Jeremy Grant and I liked him while he was here. I've liked him since he's moved on um, from Philadelphia, but I've been saying for a long time, he's the one that got away. Um, whether, you know, you can, you can point to a lot of different guys, whether it be Drew Holiday or, you know, a bunch of different dudes, but Landry, I was like the Landry. Yeah. Oh man. The playoffs is definitely, I I miss Landry. Yeah. It feels like there's a Sixers like leftover on every team in the playoffs (laughs) to some extent. Yeah. 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 No, totally. Um, so recording right now, the Heat and Celtics are, 
about to start. What time do they start? Eight o'clock. Eight thirty, I think. Eight thirty. Yeah. So the Heat and Celtics are about to start. That series is two one Heat. Um, we've kind of discussed this. We're both on the same page. We're kind of rooting for the Heat. I hate this series so much. Um, the only thing that's held me, you know, to watching them is that they've been good games so far. So, uh, I mean, I'm rooting for the Heat. I kind of like this. See this game or this series go to seven games. Uh, just based on the fact that I think that would be cool to see, you know, Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, so how does, how far do you see this series going, and who do you think is coming out with the win? Yeah, I still think the Heat have the edge in the series for sure. And I could see the Celtics sneaking back in and making this, like, competitive and even going 7. But I still think the Heat are, like, a better all-around built team and deeper team in ways that the Celtics aren't. So I think just based on that matchup, they have it. Yeah, yeah, the Heat, man, definitely the surprise team of the year, don't you think? Maybe, I guess maybe the Nuggets, but like, I didn't really see either the either the Heat or the the Nuggets making it to the conference finals, and both of them are not only there but playing well. Um, I mean, obviously the Heat with it with the lead in the series, not like the Nuggets, but both those teams overachieved this season and have looked good. I mean, credit to both coaches and both teams and. It just it just is so painful, man, to watch that Heat team. Watch, I mean, more so the Heat than the Celtics, but like, I just dislike both teams so much. And watching the Heat win and and in the fashion that they're winning is just so difficult. Yeah, even when uh, Jimmy Butler went there this off season, there was a whole lot of like trash talk with like yeah. him not even making it to the playoffs and something like that. Yeah, and the fact that he actually has like his group around him does hurt. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough to watch. Um, but I mean, to move on to some teams that you know aren't aren't lasting in the playoffs or have already been knocked out, um, we look at the Clippers here. Um, they're in a weird spot where obviously they have you know a bona fide star in in Kawhi Leonard, and who you know didn't have a great series against the Nuggets, especially late in that series, and especially in Game Seven of that series. Um, but then you have Paul George, who's just been historically bad in the playoffs, and you know didn't have a great year to begin with, and just doesn't look like you know, the Paul George of old. So I don't know where they go from here. I mean, I, I would, I'll make this case right now and I'll say this, I've been saying it. I think Doc Rivers is like an unbelievably overrated coach. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at his track record since 2008, he's had a team win 53 or more games every season, except for one since 2008. And he only has come away with one championship. You know, it's, I mean, you all the Clippers years with, you know, CP3, Blake Griffin, J.J. Redick, they had a lot of injuries happen, a lot of bad luck, you know, struck them. But still, I mean, he hasn't even made it back to um, the finals yet since 2008. Or they might have played one more time, 2009, against the Lakers. Um, so either way, Doc Rivers has, has been heralded as one of the best coaches in the league, which I think he probably is in that conversation. But he just hasn't been able to put it together, you know, in almost – a over a decade so i don't know where do you see the clippers do you see them making any drastic moves anything crazy i've seen that lou wills on the trade block um, but he's getting older but i mean do you see them really taking a different stride for next season yeah it's interesting the this clippers team was very much like assembled in the way to like maximize on this idea of like load management and like just getting your right team and focusing on the team like peaking in the playoffs which obviously was uh, a major problem with like the whole shutdown and going to the bubble and everything like that. Yeah. Like, when you look back at when we think about before the season was shut down, like the Clippers were starting to hit their stride and find like 
them together. But just, like, the amount of games that Kawhi sat out and Paul George sat out and, like, the whole team wasn't together, it was kind of crazy based yeah. on the share. And ultimately, that's kind of what we saw blew up. Like, they didn't have the chemistry. They never looked like they kind of had it all together. And obviously, Paul George was inexcusably bad in that. And the, the trade for Paul George just keeps looking worse and worse for the Thunder. And we think about how good Shea is. And that full trade, so just for Paul George, they got Shea, who obviously averaged 19, 5.9, 3.3 assists this year, along with Clippers' two first-round picks, two Miami first-round picks, and the right to swap for two more years. And that that's something that they're stuck with going forward, which is why they're kind of so trapped right now. Yeah, I mean, um, you look at there's this there's a saying in the league that you know when you trade for a superstar, you almost always lose that trade. Mm-hmm. It, just just based on the fact of how much you have to give up for a superstar in return. If the Lakers win this year, and you know that kind of makes up for the fact that they traded so much for Anthony Davis had the Clippers won this year. It might've made up for the fact that they traded so much for Paul George had the Rockets won, It may have made up for how much they, they traded for um, Russell Westbrook. But you look at, you look at the Oklahoma city thunder and Sam Presti is just one of the best general managers in the league. He knows what he's doing. And that's why I don't want the Sixers to trade for Chris Paul. Cause I just feel like it's just going to be highway robbery waiting to happen. And um, you know, you just, and that, that can move us right into our next piece because there's been some rumors going around, obviously, with the head coaching potential being Mike D'Antoni come next season, who looks and is apparently reported to be uh, the front runner for you know, that coaching position after you know, Billy Donovan signed with the Bulls. Um, how, how do you think, first of all, do you think that Mike D'Antoni is the guy? Do you have you know, another preference? Or when if the Sixers do hire him, what do you think he does or, you know, what do you think the team does to try to make this roster look more like a Mike D'Antoni roster? Yeah, I mean, first off, I think Mike D'Antoni is far and away the best coach available on the market. But the the fit with this team is unbelievably bad. And I just like, no matter how I look at it, I just can't see Embiid coexisting with D'Antoni. And it's really sad to like, that's our centerpiece. That's our guy. That's our top one of our he's a top 10 NBA player right now. And the fact that I think this is his kind of gradual ticket out the door is kind of sad. And that being said, I can see Simmons like being tremendous in a D'Antoni system and then finding the right pieces. But I just can't see, even though D'Antoni has shown flexibility in his coaching and like with the different styles he's done throughout the year, the bottom line is it's all about pace and it's, he doesn't value the big man whatsoever. And there's so much that Embiid can do on the court that I think will just get wasted in the way that D'Antoni plays that I just don't think it's a good fit for this team. Yeah, I can totally, I can totally see that. Um, I don't know. I have this weird, I have this really weird feeling that, I mean, and when we, we were talking about this earlier, um, you look at the head coaching search committee that was, you know, report, this is, it was really big news. It was obviously Elton Brand, but then it was Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. Why, I, why? I, I, I totally think Embiid's on board with it, and I'm sure they've had some sort of talks with D'Antoni that makes Embiid feel comfortable with his role. Because Embiid also, he's seven feet tall, 280 pounds, whatever he is, but he loves floating out by the perimeter. He loves shooting. He loves doing his thing. And I think, I'm sure, if D'Antoni wants to sweet talk him and talk about how he, how he can include him in his different sets and something like that, I'm sure Joel would listen. And if that does work, I would love to see it. But I just can't see the fit working to the extent that would be necessary for us to actually be competitors. 
Yeah, I mean, like I, there, I don't know. Like I said, I have this weird feeling that like Mike D'Antoni has been able to like just revamp his coaching, like his coaching style, a couple of different times. Obviously, like you said, it's about pace. I mean, you look at the early or late 2000s Suns. That was a seven-second offense, but they had Amari Sotomayor, and he's not the back-to-the-basket, need-the-ball kind of post guy, but he was able to do that. And then he played – or he coached a team this year that didn't even have a legitimate center on the roster. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he's been – he's revolutionized the game of basketball and has, is really probably one of the more underrated – parts of why the NBA is the way it is now. I mean, you look at Steph Curry and the Warriors and that whole like evolution and how dominant they were for a, a period of time, but mm-hmm. and had been had been like, you know, making some waves, you know, earlier on in his coaching career and he's been able to evolve and, and change with basketball and in front of basketball. So I don't know. I, I don't I don't wanna the problem I see and, and the problem I have with Philadelphia fans as part of that group is how negative we can be without even seeing a result, mm-hmm. without even seeing any sort of product. You know what I mean? I, I look at the way Twitter's reacting to Mike D'Antoni and half it's like, oh, this might be great. Or, and the other half is like, this is terrible. I hate Mike D'Antoni. Like, we can't let this happen and all this stuff. And, and I, I don't really have a problem with it. And I was disappointed with, you know, the coaching selections that were available when it came time to fire Brett Brown. But I, I just want to see the 76ers play modern NBA basketball. And Mike D'Antoni is going to bring that one way or another. Mm-hmm. If, if Mike D'Antoni came in and they decided that they wanted to move on from Joel Embiid, that, that is when I will lose it. I, I will be unbelievably upset by that. It, this is Joel's team. Joel saw this through. Joel has been part of this since the start. He's the last person, last player remaining from the process era. He is what brought basketball back to Philadelphia. Joel Embiid is. You can't let him not see this through. And if you decide that a coach, a coach that hasn't had championship level success in his entire career, take precedent over your franchise center, then you... I mean, we already know that the front office is backwards. We already know that they have no idea what they're doing. But that will just put the nail in the coffin. And, and I will have a hard time being a fan of this team if they really decide that, that is, a coach is more important than Joel Embiid because it's just it's not the truth. Yeah, I mean, first off, like when we think about it, like I can squint my eyes and kind of see Embiid fitting a little bit. But when we look past that on the roster – Al Horford is still on the on the books, and I like if he's still yep. here. There's zero way he can fit in any Dantoni system. No, uh, Tobias I think would be effective. I think it would be good for Tobias because he needs to shoot more, shoot quicker, and those are all things Dantonio preach. Again, Ben I think it would be good for uh, Matisse. Even I could see, but the fact of the matter is like if Embiid is to be the star of this team and the the figure and the the guy we play through, which he has proven that he's deserving of, and He's been here from the beginning and that this is his team. And I guess the the counter to that is just if a center can win in today's NBA. But again, if Embiid's as good as we think he is and that he's proven to be, like you have to find a way to maximize what you have. And by like forcing the players into a system that they don't fit in versus finding a system that can maximize that, I think it's just a backwards way of looking at it. Yeah, totally agree. I totally agree. I, I'm not out on Dan Tony. Um, by any means at this point, but 
I am like, and, and I mean, we, we've been talking about this. This roster needs an overhaul anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, they made really bad decisions last off season. They have a lot of mistakes to try to cover up come this off season. And, and we're getting a little antsy because the Sixers have been eliminated for like a month to the day. And like, it's kind of hard to watch other teams be successful and, and think, oh man, the Sixers could be in a, in a better position come next season. And, and the next season comes so fast that there's a, a lot of mistakes to cover up in a little amount of time. So there's going to be pressure this off season. There's a lot of rumors flying around about trades, about moves, about free agents and all this stuff. One way or another, you need your roster to look a lot, a lot significantly different come next season, regardless of who you hire a coach. No matter who you bring in, if you run this back with a very similar roster, you're not going to have success. It's just not a successful roster. And we saw that happen. Obviously, without Ben, it's, it's kind of hard. It's a, it's a skewed lens to watch that um, the playoff series against the Celtics just because Ben Simmons brings so much to the table, that, as we've seen, that you can't really be it, – it's not a perfect thing. You know, you can't say, oh, this happened and that's the truth because you don't know what the truth would be if Ben was in the game or if Ben was available for that series at all. So, but just, you know, watching this whole season, how they, uh, they underperformed and whether that be, I mean, they were great at home. <laughs> they were terrible on the road, whether that be a Brett Brown thing, whether that be an organization wide thing, a player thing, I don't know what it was, but regardless, this, this roster needs to change. They need to get back to modern basketball. They need to shoot threes more and shoot them at a, a, a better clip. They need to have more guys that shoot threes. Ben Simmons needs to shoot threes. Ben Simmons needs to do everything that he does, and he needs to do them better next season if they want to win a championship. They have two great players on this roster. All, all they need to do is look at the other teams and what they've done. Give them guys that complement their skills. It's not a foreign concept. It's actually the most simple concept that I could think of as a general manager. You don't have to do anything crazy. You really don't even have to make a blockbuster trade. I mean, you got to get rid of Al Horford. You might have to get rid of Josh Richardson. You might, you maybe be able to do that in the same move, but regardless, you could pick and choose some lower level guys that just shoot the basketball at a decent rate. And they're going to look a lot better this time next year or maybe not this time next year, whenever they're going to be playing basketball again. But you know what I mean? It's just, I don't know. It's frustrating as a fan to watch them act like this is the most complicated thing they've ever been through when really the concept is pretty simple. Yeah, definitely. And like looking for one blockbuster move doesn't do us any good really because there's no one one fix for this team to the point where we're at. And there's got to be like bench scoring on this team has been an issue for years now and not having reliable guys that come in. So just doing that one trade to get a, a guy, maybe you move Horford, so you pick up Buddy or CP3 or whoever it is. That still doesn't solve that, and there's still huge gaps, like in the the depth and the bench guys coming in, people that can like support the the guys that are actually starting. And then, uh, as far as like when we get to back to the Brett Brown talk, and I know we talked a lot about how he was a scapegoat and how much like that wasn't the issue, which at the end of the day was the right decision to fire Brown. But like Ty Lue is probably the only other realistic option at this point. And I do think he's a much better fit and a little better. But again, it's one of those, the grass isn't always greener and there's no like perfect option for this team. So as much as I hate on like the D'Antoni and I would be surprised if D'Antoni isn't the higher at this point, like it's not like they're flooded with options. Yeah. I mean, what, I mean, what, and what are you supposed to do? I mean, Kenny Atkinson is still out there. Why haven't they interviewed him? 
I don't. I really don't know why. I mean, I guess Ben and Joel must not like him, and that's the only thing I can think of. And if that's the case, then he's not going to be good here anyway. If they if they don't like him, but I, I mean, I want to see more trades like the one with Golden State that happened late in the, in the regular season. I, like that's really all you need. Mm-hmm. Like looking at that trade, obviously it didn't pan out just because of obviously you know the pandemic and then them being injured, uh, GR3 being injured going into the playoffs. Alec Burks looked great, though, and he looked like a great fit with Joel. And, like, you didn't have to give up a lot for them. Obviously, they were on a, you know, running on an empty contract. You gave up a couple second-round picks just so the Warriors didn't have to worry about it. You know what I mean? They didn't need those guys. They wanted to be bad. They wanted to get their pick and move on. But that's the kind of stuff you need to look for as a, as a general manager. You need to find those guys that, okay, he shoots well from three. He's an athletic wing. He can play defense, and he can handle the ball. So sure. send them a couple of seconds. So good. I genuinely believe that GR3 would have played major minutes if he wasn't hurt in these playoffs. Yeah, he was looking really good in, in the, rest, the couple games of the restart. Like, I, I don't know. They, they were two guys that fit – fit what they wanted to do better than anyone else that they signed mm-hmm. or traded for in that off season. And it was one move on a late Thursday night in early February. Like that's, that's all they needed to do. I, I don't, I don't really, I just don't get it. I don't know what it is about. And, and I, I like, I get so upset about it. I know I'm getting like pretty flustered right now, but I also feel like i trust elton brand like i don't i don't think i think elton understands that he messed up and i think that he understands what he might have to do to you know maintain this job and keep going except once again this hard look at the front office there's still been no firings inside the inner working and as much as they want to talk about like rearrange who is what job or whatever you want to call it who whatever who wants to be the figurehead like there has to be some sort of uh like system of like keeping guys accountable in that front office and the way like guys kind of yeah. float in and out of that and like that hopefully this is elton's team and elton's year and he fully has control of everything but again like who knows what that front office is really looking at and it's like crazy that there haven't been changed after this like quote-unquote deep dive that they did yeah totally it's like they need to checks and balances they need something to like yeah. power checks power you know what i mean and I don't know. I, I still think, I mean, Brand has shown the ability to make big moves. I think the thing is he fell in love with the thrill of making big moves. Mm-hmm. He came in and he, you know, Butler deal and then Tobias deal. And we're kind of dealing with the ramifications of those deals now. And I mean, can you blame the guy? Like they said, yeah, the Sixers, the organization itself has set so many guys up to fail. I mean, Right, Brand was thrown in here as a first-year GM with expectations of winning a championship from day one and then forced in how he needs to find a third star. So no doubt he swung for the fences. He brought in Jimmy, brought in Tobias, which honestly aren't bad names and grabs for the situation he was put in. And then sure, like looking back on it, obviously it backfired. Neither of those teams worked out, and Jimmy obviously didn't work out. But again, like you can't hate on Elton for trying in a role that he was wasn't even prepared for, and he even acknowledged how he wasn't ready for it in like this past year's press conference. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, and even you look at Brett. I mean, you give that guy the worst job in the NBA to coach the worst team in NBA history, and then you snap your fingers 
and you have two stars and you're like, oh man, hey, you need to win us a championship now. Yeah. And also, by the way, we're going to flip the roster six different times. So you're not going to ever have the same starting lineup and ever going to create chemistry with your players because they're just going to be a rotating door. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, we always end up in the same spot. You know, time is a flat circle and whatever. But we end up here and it's so frustrating that we keep ending up here and saying we have two really, really, really good players. We have two potentially generational type players. We have a top 10 player and Ben Simmons, who's right there. And in my opinion, you know, easily top 20, not a lot of other teams have that. There are a few, there are select few teams that have that. And we drafted those guys and they're signed here. They are signed in Philadelphia for an extended period of time. Look at the, it wasn't like we made for example, look at the Nuggets, ahead, Jamal Murray no. and Nikola Jokic, both very exactly. good players, talented players. Neither one of them is as good as Embiid. Neither one, like, uh, same with like the the Heat, straight up talent wise. Embiid and Simmons are better than anyone on that team. No. But the way they play together, the way they have guys that buy in, fit the roles, and that's all you need when you're looking for winning a championship. And like the under attention to that layer of our roster is what the reason for where we're at right now. Exactly. I mean, look at all the teams that are left. In terms of talent, the Sixers are right there. Like, right. if not better. I mean, you, Anthony Davis and LeBron, those are two probably top five players. At least top ten players right there. Mm-hmm. And the rest of that roster is made up of a bunch of goons. Yeah. Like, there's really no one else on that team that, like, sticks out at all. Like, watching that game, Alex Caruso catches my eye more than anyone else. Maybe Rondo. Kuzma. And it just—it's so frustrating. Kuzma's garbage. Yeah. Kuzma's not good. No. And like, it just—it's it, just—it's crazy to me that the Sixers can't. Like, I don't know if they're watching something different than we are because I see that and I say, hey, why don't we have a guy like Gary Harris or Monte Morris or Jeremy Grant, who we did have, and we have people that just play the role that they need to play for to complement Ben and Joel. It just and and you did have that like you had that in 2017 2018 you had a team full of players that did exactly what Ben and Joel needed and they had a great season and they won a playoff series against Miami like I, I don't I don't know I just I don't I really do not get it and I mean I haven't gotten this upset on the podcast yet so this is a this is a new thing for me but it's just it's it's so frustrating it really is but I do want to talk about something quick because I saw some and again. Twitter news isn't real news. Twitter rumors aren't real rumors. But I saw something that said Billy Donovan wants to coach Al Horford, which why I, I, I could not tell you why he would want to at this point. It was he had him when he was at his best. Yeah, yeah. I, sure. No, I get, I get that. He had him when he was at his best. That's Al Horford's best years. If he wants a little, you know, a romantic reunion between, you know, a couple UF guys, Go for it. Be my guest. Give me, give me Ryan Archidiacono for Al Horford straight up. I'll do it. Yeah, I would do it. But I mean, do you think that's a good hire for the Bulls? I, I was surprised by that. Uh, I was also surprised by that. I don't think the Bulls are the most appealing job in the NBA out of what was left, of course. But like, I, I like Donovan. I think he's a good coach. He's a good guy to that you can kind of start to build a franchise with, like in the way that the Bulls are looking to. So I think it's a good match in that regard. I don't think Donovan's particularly like a win now kind of coach, but I do think he has a great understanding of basketball as a very good coach. And obviously he has a tremendous record with all his college accolades and even what he's done in the league so far. So 
I think he's a good hire. And his season this year with the Thunder was extremely impressive too with everything that he did with a, a roster completely overachieving from what they should have been able to do. So I think he'll do a lot with yeah. Levine. I think the Bulls are starting to build something. But, uh, yeah, he's more than welcome to have Horford for any any deal whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just surprised by it because it seemed like when when him and Oklahoma City, you know, mutually parted ways, to me that was like, okay, the Thunder are going to try to rebuild or try to, you know, just kind of revamp everything. And by him leaving, it was kind of him saying, like, hey, I don't really want to be a part of a rebuild. Mm-hmm. And, and while the Bulls are, like – they're not necessarily in a rebuild. They've gotten the young pieces that they need to start winning, but they're in nowhere. They're in no place to actually think that they're contending for a title or even contending for, you know, a decent playoff spot. Like they, I think best case scenario, they're like an eight seed next year, maybe a seven seed at best. They're trending in a better direction than the Thunder though. The Thunder are at a point where they're about to kind of go into full rebuild build mode. (laughs) Yeah. Trading Chris Paul and working with whatever, Shea is obviously very talented, but, like, as a whole, that roster doesn't have a lot of depth to it. Lou Dort, I like a whole lot, too. But uh, um, yeah. the, the Bulls, at least, Levine is a legitimate NBA star that you can build around. Markinen's all right. They're I love Zach Levine. Players. Yeah, so I think at least the Bulls are kind of trending in the right direction that Donovan can get behind and hopefully build from. And I think it's a good spot where he can kind of, like, doesn't have pressure on him right away, but still moving towards the right direction. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could see that. I mean, they do have a lot, like Kobe White, Wendell Carter. Like, they have a lot of decent young players. I mean, their their stud is Zach Levine. Like, I'm, I'm so high on Zach Levine. He's like my favorite player outside the Sixers. So I could go on all day about him. But yeah, I was just that was an interesting uh, move for me to see. I just, I thought, I thought he was gonna go. I, I guess I don't even know where I thought he was gonna go. But the Bulls caught me off guard for sure. Did you see Zach Levine's reaction to it? He was on a live stream. Did you see it? Mm-mm. It was so fun. It was so funny. He was like, he checked his phone real quick, and he was like, "Oh man, we got Billy Donovan as our our next coach." And then it was like silence for a while, and he goes, "That'll be good." <laughs> and this was playing Call of Duty. Like he seemed so careless about the situation. He's like, "Oh, nice." <laughs> There's definitely oh, been man. a trickle down effect with that, as I kind of. Since then, it's been the D'Antoni rumors heating up and kind of in other places, the coaching search kind of picking up a little bit. So I think the uh, coaching hire for the Sixers is going to come sooner than I originally thought it would. Yeah, I could see it happening like pretty soon, maybe in like the next week. Yeah. I'm scared, man. I'm scared. Not for the coaching hire because I think think I'll be able to rationalize and like convince myself that'll be good regardless of who it is. Um, but I'm just scared for the reaction of like half the fans because half the fans are like Ty Lue. The other half are, I guess like one third's Ty Lue, one third's Mike D'Antoni. The other one's like, everyone sucks. Let me coach the team kind of deal. Um, I mean, that being said, if we're talking coaches, we're going to talk about a quick power. We're going to do a quick power rank. I liked how you stated that earlier, Sean. We're going to do a quick power rank of the 76ers best coaches. Um, so you can go ahead first. I'm pretty sure who I know who you're going to say first. Book for it. Do you want to go one through five, five through one? I only have three. Okay, so uh, one through three or three through one? Um, three through one. Okay. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can say your first two, and then I'll go with you from three down. Okay, so 
I got uh, Billy Cunningham, Larry Brown is my top two that I'm kind of torn between. I think I'm going to go with Billy yeah, Cunningham me too. as my number one. Uh, 454 and 190 career record. Uh, coached eight years, won one ring as a coach and one ring as a player with the organization, which is awesome. And just the longevity of that is extremely impressive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had Billy Cunningham, obviously. Like, I feel like that's the no, not a no-brainer because Larry Brown had, had some success here. But um, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, the last – I mean, it's so sad to say, but the last championship in 1983, you got to give the guy credit. He was a great player here, obviously, and then also a, a very good coach. Um, Larry Brown – so I have this weird thing with Larry Brown because, I mean, that was before my time as, like, a real Sixers fan, you know but I remember, I just remember my dad talking about it all the time and about, you know, how much he did, he didn't like, or he liked Larry Brown and was like upset that him and Iverson didn't always get along. Yeah. So a, like, I have a weird, I'm a big Larry Brown guy. I think he deserves a ton of credit for even in that, that Oh one uh, series, the Lakers series. And obviously that whole year, even winning a game. Yeah. He, and he totally remodeled the whole offense by adding Matumbo mid season and getting a guy that could guard Shaq because that was the total intention of that trade. It was just if they want to have a legit chance at winning the championship, they need a big man. So versus the yeah. team early on in the year was all Iverson running the show, more fast pace. To pick up a big man and make it work and still make it all the way to the finals was super impressive on that end. And obviously the the Iverson thing like never fully worked out, and I wish it had. But, like, I don't know. I think Larry Brown's still an unbelievable coach. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he was the coach of the Pistons of the one in 2004, if I'm not mistaken. Or am I mistaken? Uh, I'm not 100% sure on that either. So. I'll, I'll, I will check on that, but I feel like I'm – I feel like that might be the truth. Mm-hmm. Either way, I want to know, I have to ask you, is Brett Brown in your top five? He is not. I, I thought about it a lot. His When we think about these records, so obviously Brown's – uh, career win loss will probably never recover from all the time he spent here. But two twenty one and three yeah. four is what he ends at. He did a lot for developing guys for being a great. He's more of a great guy than he is a great coach, which I think kind of shades my view a little bit. But uh, like yeah, X is, I would love to see him succeed elsewhere. But at this point, I don't think he's a extremely top tier head coach. No, I'm. My guess is he'll get a an assistant coaching job or some sort of player development job mm-hmm. um, somewhere. I, I, I think he deserves a job. Agreed. And I think he will get another shot at some point. I don't think it'll be this year, but some point down the line, he'll be a head coach again. No. Um, by the way, Larry Brown, what he was the uh, coach of the Pistons in 2004 when they won. Gotcha. Um, so he, he did have success eventually, just not in Philadelphia, which seems like the theme you know, it seems like this yeah. recurring thing that just never ends whenever it, we're just like the precursor to someone else's, someone else's success. Um, but that, that was my top three. My, my three guys were Billy Cunningham, Larry Brown, and Brett Brown. And I, here, here's my case for Brett. Here's my case for Brett. Let me hear it. Because it's hard. It's really hard. It's really hard to, ex- it's like <laughs> with a 222 and 344 record, it's really hard to defend that. It's really hard to say, oh, he's one of the best coaches ever with like one of the worst um, career win percentages as a, as a Sixers head coach. Um, but man, he was here for seven years. Seven years, he saw us through so much. And he, I mean, he was the best coach that we could have asked for in that time, in the early years of the process when we were just really bad. And then he was able to kind of progress with the team. He, The team, I mean... 
Ben and Joel made this team far more successful um, quicker than I think any of us could have thought, but I think they just um, surpassed him in terms of their level of success. They outgrew him, and that's okay. It seems like, you know that meme um, with the, the Ninja Turtles? And what's what's the uh, – oh, my gosh. I, I wish I could remember. Do you know it, though? It's like, what's the rat's name? They're like their dad or whatever it is in the Ninja Turtles, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right, the what? You know, like, is it the rat? They're, they're, like, is their master or whatever it is? Uh, maybe I'm, I'm totally not you know, <laughs> regardless there's a there's a picture where like the rat is kind of like helping them walk like holding their hands as they're walking all together and then there's a second picture where the teenage mutant ninja turtles are all grown up and they're kind of helping him walk because he's old and that's how it kind of felt with me with ben and joel like okay brett brown was there through their injuries and and all their early things and he was you know defending them with his back against the wall the entire time, every single thing that he did, he took so way too many shots on the chin and, and made up for so many mistakes for so many people around him. And he was still able to be a great dude at the end of it. Had he been completely sour and just absolutely ripped in to the Sixers front office and their, the way their organization is run the second he got fired, I would have been like, yes, Brett, you deserve that. Go do that. But he didn't because he's just a high character dude. And while he didn't have great success in terms of winning, he did he did take us to places that I hadn't seen yet. So Brett has a special place in my heart because he's been the coach of the team that I've root for since like I really got into basketball. Yeah, those are all fair points, and like obviously I agree with the the team kind of outgrowing him. And Brown for sure ate a lot of punches leaving this place for a lot of different people, whether that be like front office decisions even shading like Simmons and Embiid from media criticism and all that he did with that. So I have absolutely zero hate, hate in my heart for Brett Brown for his time with the organization. And I agree he was the right man for yeah. the job during that whole process. That being said, just as a straight up like basketball coach, as far as guys in the organization that I think better, yeah. I'll take Doug Collins over him. I'll take Jack Ramsey over him. Even Jim Lynham. Wow. Wow. Doug Collins. Yeah, I. Did What's his career record? Uh, with the Sixers, one ten and one twenty, but he made the playoffs two years. He was even okay. on the eight seed that beat the Bulls and lost to the Celtics in that series. Who their number one option was Drew Holiday that year, and a team that was really not very good. He stretched the most out of them. I think Collins is a good. That's interesting. Coach, even though he's kind of a get under player skin kind of guy. Interesting. I mean, I'm just I I follow lead a lot of times, especially when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So people around me were like hated Doug Collins. So immediately I was like, oh yeah, I don't like Doug Collins either. But I mean, he couldn't even win with Jordan. Yeah, but that was old Jordan and locked <laughs> up and. But he still. His, no, his, Doug Collins coached him right before Phil Jackson. Doug Collins was the right, coach of the right. Bulls right before Phil Jackson got there. I believe he also but, pitched him at the, yeah. at the tail end of his career, too. But he was not he? in the town before Jackson. You're right about that. Yeah. Well, hopefully the next coach that the Sixers hire is on this list of best Sixers coaches ever with a ring on their finger. Um, unfortunately, I don't know if that'll happen. I'm still holding I hope. I don't know. I'm, I'm a fairly optimistic guy. 
I feel like they're not even out of it. I feel like they're not like everyone's like blow it up. What's we got to do is it's time to move on. Ben is 24. Joel is 26. This team, these players, the core, there is time left on the table and I am not ready to give up on them by any means. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm, I sit in the middle of blow it up and we're still right there. I don't think it's <laughs> by any means time to blow it up. It's definitely still keep Embiid and Simmons together and build around those two. But again, actions need to happen fast. And this is a super key off season for the Sixers. Definitely. Definitely. Um, that being said, I think we can wrap it up here, Sean. Um, today is my first day getting a little emotional on the podcast i hope i hope it doesn't push some viewers away but uh we had a great time today i appreciate it as always sean we'll hear from you guys soon